Hello and welcome to today's BJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, you will hear from leading experts in myelodysplastic syndromes who discuss the need for more effective first-line therapies in MDS, challenges in the field, and future outlooks. First, you will hear from Uwe Platzbecker, who highlights reasons why there are fewer treatment options for MDS patients compared to other hematological malignancies, as well as recent advances with the combination of magrolimab and azacitidine. I think number one uh, reason for this observation is that um, MDS is a very heterogeneous disease. And although you have certain classification boxes, if I may call it like this, based on blast count, genetics, and so on, it may not reflect the overall diversity of the disease. And therefore, I think we have quite recent examples of failures of certain phase two, phase three programs in MDS where actually um, experiences or data on a limited number of patients, for instance, in phase two trials look very promising. And then basically the uh, success, success rate diluted by expanding these treatment uh, um, th um, approaches into phase three programs. Maybe there's something which we don't see, which we don't uh, um, are not able to assess by conventional classification systems. And this is maybe, um, I think, one reason. The other one is that also it's an orphan disease, uh, if you want so, because especially certain subtypes are very rare and therefore also maybe, uh, at least in the past, pharmaceutical industry was not very interested to develop um, programs, uh, clinical programs in these patients. So I think it's the answer is mixed, but uh, I think with the recent advances, also with clinical trial programs, we hope to have more treatment options on board very soon. I think there was uh, at the EHA meeting, there was an update on the macrolimab program, uh, azacitin plus macrolimab, not only in MDS, high-risk MDS, but also in AML. And uh, what has been shown is actually number one is the safety uh, of these uh, of this combination. As you know, there was some recent FDA hold of the program, uh, but I think the people and the um, study uh, PIs I think could convincingly show that there is. Uh, uh, actually a lot of safety with this combination, also with regards to anemia and so on. Uh, and number two, um, I think that the data also confirm the activity of the combination across all subsets of high-risk MDS, either P53 mutated or non-mutated, although the with regards to the outcome survival, um, the curves actually split, suggesting that maybe Macrolimab may not have a preferential activity in P53 mutated patients compared maybe to earlier reports. So all in, uh, uh, all in one, I think it's uh, pretty, um, um, I think um, pretty good data and they look um, uh, very, very good. And at the moment, as you know, the phase uh, three program is uh, underway, not only in high-risk MDS, but also in AML patients. Next, you will hear from Daniel Starzhanovsky, who shares some insights into the potential role of IRAC inhibitors and combination approaches in MDS.
I think IRAC inhibitors, this is the prime time now to uh, you know, evaluate them in the clinic. Um, uh, we'll understand a lot more about their monotherapy activity, but I think moving forward, uh, uh, it, you know, the right combinations are going to be uh, very likely, and those have to be driven by great science and justify, justified by uh, basic science. Um, and then down the road, I think as we understand the, the complex nature of the different mutations and how they're activating and impinging and dysregulating not only the, these innate immune inflammatory pathways in the, the disease propagating cells, but also in the immune effector cells. And understanding that science and using that science as a foundation then to deliberately target them in a very genetically specific way. Um, and I, that's going to be more likely the longer term strategy. Lastly, Naval Deva and David Salmon will briefly explain the potential role of CD47 antibodies and CAR-T therapy and their place in the MDS treatment landscape. The CD47 antibodies are very exciting in AML-MDS. Uh, the one with the most advanced data at this point is Megrolimab, which blocks CD47, but there are three or four others now entering clinical trials, uh, including Lemzoparlimab, TTI622, ALX, and in even bispecifics uh, with CD47, such as from CAR and Chatuk. So the lemzoparlimab is one that we are uh, involved in the trial, combining it with azacitidine or azacitidine venetoclax in MDS and AML respectively. Uh, no data has been presented yet, but the things we would be looking for are, number one, is there a difference in the anemia profile? Megrolimab is, appears to be an effective drug, but we do see more anemia with it. And so if we see less anemia, or no anemia with another CD47 SERP alpha, which may be the case based on the preclinical data and the way that they bind to the RBC spectrin, that could be a very positive thing. And then of course you have to see the efficacy, especially in the TP53 high risk groups where megrolimab seems to be performing well, but also in the others. So uh, I think it's gonna be interesting, hopefully in the next six to eight months to start generating some early data presented. And then again, just like with FLIP3 and with Menin, there may be differences between these drugs, making them suitable for some patients, whereas the other drug may be suitable for others. So that's what we're hoping. So I think we're all looking for a novel immunotherapy, and, and CAR-T, of course, has been a paradigm shift in malignant hematology as far as treatment with lymphoma, myeloma, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So there are trials ongoing. Most actually right now are AML, although there's a high degree of overlap. I think we need to often get past this arbitrary separation between MDS and AML. And if we think about many of the antigens that are being targeted, um, there's likely relatively similar expression uh, in the MDS patients, especially higher risk patients. So the main single antigen CARs um, thus far have been CD33, CD123, CLL1. There has been some data across, um, particularly CD33, that has had some responses. So for example, there is a Presagen um, Ultra CAR T-cell, which is sort of a rapid manufacturing process we've been a part of. We presented data at ASH this past year where around a third of patients in the lipodepleted cohort had remissions, although the durability, I think, needs to be longer. It was around three months. So dose escalation is ongoing in that study and the potential to dose patients multiple times I think is very relevant. This is actually one of the only studies that allows high-risk um, MDS patients. We're actually um, in process of, of treating some of those patients but no data to date as far as um, safety and efficacy. Although safety should, if anything, be better in this patient population, again, what the ultimate efficacy is I think remains to be seen. 
I think in many of these other car strategies, they're sort of going after sort of the standard relapse refractory AML patients. Again, a lot of these have very high blast burden. So I would argue that we should really try to move this into the MDS space um, as soon as possible. Again, I'm not aware of any data with 123 or CLL1 um, to date, but I, I would look forward to that. I think ultimately the challenge is there's no uniform antigen. So there's no perfect marker like CD19 or BCMA. I think most likely what's going to be needed to really pass these efficacy thresholds is sort of or gating with a car that will activate on targeting more than one antigen. If I was to, to pick, pick two, I would like CD33, CLL1 combination, but I think there are a lot of other ones. There's also some novel targets that are ongoing. But I think instead of focusing on safety, we really have to focus on efficacy um, to try to get to where some of these other diseases. But again, I think the, the future's bright. I think patients um, need to be highly referred to centers that do have some of these trials open so that we can try to move this as quickly as possible. It's a very slow and challenging process getting through dose escalation. But again, hopefully we'll have some more data in Congresses in the near future. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.